Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. Plus, coming up later, I sat down with Nine's Director of Powered, Liana Dubois, and Program Director, Hamish Turner, to discuss what's coming up from Nine in 2020. It's about consistency, and it's about retaining brands, and about brands that have a, a proven winning formula, and an audience. The stiff competition between streaming services. You know, I think it's about who does the, the smart deals with the right uh, distributors at this point in time to ensure that they've got that flow of content continuing to, to, to come to them moving forward. And how Nine will go up against the Olympics on Seven. I think it's really important to remember that 2020 has 52 weeks inside it. But first, the week's topics. Everything that happened at Nine's upfronts. Foxtel restructures, again. And ARN commits to its breakfast talent. So earlier this week, we had Nine's 2020 upfronts where they reveal their content, technology and data plans for the coming year. Now, sometimes the upfronts are full of huge content-based announcements, but Hannah, for Nine, a lot of it was more of the same. Why was that? Um, so Nine's main mantra for 2020 is consistency. Um, I think we probably saw it said at least 15 times throughout the presentation. So basically all we saw from them was the renewal of their big flagship reality formats. That's Married at First Sight, The Block, Australian Ninja Warrior and The Voice. Lego Masters is back, which of course had its first season this year, which did incredibly well for them. Um, there were a couple of new announcements, but they were so, um, kind of beside the big reality shows that were returning that they were kind of kept till afterwards and it was rushed through a bit. So yeah, it was definitely just like, we did great in 2019. We're going to continue doing great in 2020 and we're going to do that by not changing what's working. Now I would challenge your assertion that anything was rushed at nines up front because (laughs) if you were in the room, I'm sure you can appreciate the feeling that it was a very long presentation you know in their defense they have so many assets now not just television not just broadcast video on demand platform nine now they've got the former fairfax assets they're about to get hold of macquarie media they're ramping up their data offering and changing up what they're doing with brands through nine powered which liana will talk to later in the podcast but Brittany, this was your second upfronts ever, having gone to 10 the week previously. What was your perception of the show that Nine put on versus the show that 10 put on for all the marketers in the room? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I left Nine's last night feeling like, as you said, it was a bit long. 10's felt really sharp and compact and they showed off the talent and kind of did all the things that Nine did but you kind of left still feeling on a high. Whereas by the end, it was kind of like my bum's really sore (laughs) and I just really want to get out of this seat. Um, It also felt like, I mean, you mentioned the Fairfax properties, pedestrian, Macquarie, but it felt like those were a bit of an afterthought. Like the Sydney Morning Herald, the age, the pedestrian logos were up on the screen a couple of times. They were mentioned a couple of times, but I also left feeling like it wasn't really clear, especially first upfronts post-merger, what they would be doing 
in 2020 with those titles and how that related to what they're doing in TV, what they're doing for advertisers. So that felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity, especially when that feels like a really big point of difference for them compared to seven and 10. I think nine does have a bit of a struggle there in that the upfronts have always been such a television focused event and such a content focused event. So they can basically sell their content ahead of time upfront to marketers and media agencies so that they can sort of formulate their plans for the coming year. So in a way, I get why they didn't make it a newspaper-based event or an event about their digital media assets. But then in another way, they did make it so much about digital assets in terms Mm. of their BVOD platform and in terms of their data offering and saying that with the combined efforts of Nine's digital properties and the former Fairfax assets, you know, they have such a big digital impression of Australians. So I think it's quite a balancing act for Nine and I'm I'm not sure they got it right, but I certainly wouldn't have wanted that presentation to go any longer. So I wouldn't want to advocate for them yeah, yeah. adding more to that mix. There was also mixed reviews, I think, from the people that I spoke to afterwards. Some were like, yep, this is what I expected it was good, it was safe, it was, as Hannah said, consistent, and I liked it. There was a lot of it went on for far too long, and then there was also a lot of it felt like, yeah, the Fairfax and other digital properties were a little bit left behind. So, yeah, it was, I think, more of a mixed review than we had at 10. Um, I think what was interesting is that they had the chance to do something different, as you said, Viv, up until now, upfronts have always been very TV focused, but that's because no media brand has been able to offer what Nine's been able to offer in this country before now. I think because of that, they had that chance to do something different. But when I was kind of thinking about it a bit more this morning after <laughs> moving away from the excitement and the roller coaster, <laughs> I thought if they had done that, if they had done something completely different, if they'd blown all other upfronts out of the water, they wouldn't necessarily have been sticking true to their ongoing mantra of consistency. So I do wonder whether maybe they thought, okay, let's play it safe because that's kind of what we're offering people. We're offering the chance for advertisers to play it safe by picking the network that's more consistent than the others in their eyes. And therefore that might be why they kind of stuck to that more traditional format. Now, speaking of playing it safe, the after party was certainly not playing it safe and was definitely nine showcasing its power, its ability to spend money. People afterwards were wildly speculating about how much that after party and event would have cost. I heard people saying $4 million, $5 million. I've got no idea what that's based off. They could just be throwing numbers around. But for anyone that wasn't there, it was hugely impressive. There was a roller coaster. There were all sorts of activations. They had Guy Sebastian from The Voice perform. There was a woman dressed in a bridal outfit uh, where she was in some kind of alcohol cage of of a wedding dress where the sort of bottom of her dress was surrounded by actual drinks that you could take off her, which was all kinds of bizarre. And I think there are all kinds of strange photos of me chasing down the bride to get a drink. Um, There was also, we we were somewhat misled in that we were told that there was a, a speakeasy, which I interpret to be a bar. Now, I don't know if I'm alone in that interpretation, but if someone tells me that you've got to get through this secret door to go to a speakeasy, that is a secret bar where I'm going to go to get away from the lady in the wedding dress booze cage. But we, we went there and we pushed open the door 
And Hannah, I would question if it was a speakeasy because we walked in thinking... I mean, it was most definitely not. (laughs) We were going to get fancy drinks and there were men dressed as angels giving (laughs) massages. And it was this really small room that we couldn't work out how to get out of. And Brittany, who's actually now crying... I made you go and try and find a door on the other side of this tiny box with the men dressed as angels, and there wasn't. And we just had the most bizarre well, experience. First, they said no food and drink, and we were like, okay, great, because it's all inside. This is special food and drink. <laughs> oh and then gosh. they were like, no, it's just no food. So then you shoveled food in your mouth to get rid of the food. I mean, I do that anyway. But- and we were like, this is this is awesome. And then they pulled over, open the secret door. And yeah, it was a weird angel man <laughs> that we wanted no part in. It was also but down. But then like Hannah a, couldn't get out. No, because it was down like a corridor. So once you got stuck in the corridor, you couldn't get back. And then the door had closed behind us that was the wall. So when you pushed against it, it wasn't necessarily opening. But I have just looked up Speakeasy on Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge. A speakeasy is an illicit establishment that sells alcoholic beverages. <gasps> Not a speakeasy. We were misled, which is why I sent multiple text messages all in caps saying, what an effing stitch up. (laughs) So I was definitely stitched up. I'm not sure by who yet, but somebody I think had fun at my expense to put me in a room with the angel men. Let the record show that we did not get massages. We did run from the room. <laughs> we we did not get we massages. We stood there awkwardly trying to get out. <laughs> yeah, we did. But look, people were very, very impressed with the party. And I think whilst Nine's actual event was, I guess, they don't have to hype people up as much. You know, they're already one. So their hype reels weren't as exciting. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to watch every single show next year. There was a lot of repetition. Ash Barty, Australia's number one tennis player, was on screen so many times, way more times than Carl Stefanovic. You know, it, it did feel very repetitive, but the party was where where the fun was. Did you not find the travel guide segment the most fun thing ever? <laughs> I did not find the travel guide segment the most fun ever. So for anyone that wasn't there, Nine's upfronts were very talent heavy. Mm. Uh, they got so many people from their shows to come out and do weird skits with awkward banter would be the best way to sum it up. And a particularly awkward segment was for their show travel guides where they had one of the families come out um, to the baby shark song and throw things into the crowd, which I'm, I was too far back. So I don't I think they were teddy bears or something like that. I heard that someone did an arm or whatever, trying to reach out and grab one. <laughs> and look, it was, it was awkward and it was weird bordering on some casual racism but I think that's sort of the appeal of the show is that those types of people and and the reality of following them around to different countries but honestly I didn't I didn't need to see it um another thing that I was disappointed to see was that we're gonna head into 2020 and have another season of Married at First Sight which is an easy decision for nine it's a rating smash of course they're gonna do it what did disappoint me, though, was that already we've got a promo with an alpha male talking about how he doesn't care if his future bride-to-be wants to kiss him on the lips. He's going to do it anyway. And, you know, they're ramping that up with the villain music. And so they know it's controversial. They know it's awful. They know it's promoting a ridiculous culture. It's like we're going down that path again mm-hmm. of that toxicity 
Um, and I feel like I just need to sort of have that on the record on the podcast because I did rant about this at the after party to somebody who I was not aware was from Nine. So uh, one of the things he would have heard was, I can't believe they're rolling out the same fucking shit again and was told afterwards, oh, by the way, after I ranted for probably 18 minutes, was told, oh, by the way, he works for Nine. So it's probably going to get back to them anyway. To give additional context, I didn't mean everything about what Nine presented at their upfronts. I just meant when I said the same fucking shit, I meant that awful vision of masculinity and relationships and having promoting someone, you know, to to do that to women. Mm. Like I was just disappointed in that. Um, the other thing that I was discussing with the person who was from Nine, who I didn't realise was from Nine, was uh, The Parent Jury, which is mm. a new show that's coming to Nine. To me, we, we didn't get a, a lot of a look in, but to me it kind of looked like Wife Swap but for kids where – really different types of families are going to swap kids or swap how they raise their kids. And it, there was definitely in the promo talk of anti-vaxxers and talk of uh, overweight children and parents who give their children sugar. So from what I could see, it feels like they're going to get those real points of tension in parenting, whether it's how you feed your children, how how you treat their health care and all that. And is that the impression you got, Hannah? No. So I believe um, it's definitely going to hit all those controversial points. You're incredibly correct. They're literally describing it as a controversial new series. Mm-hmm. But I believe what happens is cameras will follow these families around and then other families, which are also part of the um, project, will watch each other. Right. So they'll like, box commentary. Basically. Yeah. Gold, gold so they're judging. For, for parenting. Yeah. So they're judging, hence the parent right. jury. Because I couldn't quite get my head around. Because to me, yeah, it did look like it might be wife swap and I did wonder about the legalities of doing that to to children but okay so look that's definitely not a show for me but I spoke to so many media agency execs last night who have children and they just said look it's gonna go off it's gonna go so well it will be the water cooler conversation it will be the twitter conversation it's gonna get so many column inches it's gonna be a rating smash um So, yeah, do you agree, Hannah? Do you think it's going to go well? I think if we can judge off – I feel like we this term gets thrown around a lot, but if we can judge off the fact that people love the train wreck viewing that is maths, they're going to love this as well. I mean, the the hype reel they put together for it was so – like it was bouncing between, oh, I don't need to tell my kid I love him every day to like, you know, we don't believe in vaccinating our kids. So they've – guaranteed themselves a smash hitter with this one i reckon i do wonder though how especially off the back of married at first sight they're going to go at courting that line between being Mm. sensational and being too much because i think as you say viv um in terms of the maths promo that ran it's interesting that these huge shows for them are huge or going to be huge because they're ethically dubious like the the parent jury do we really want to subject kids to being on TV, having their sort of family shown as this weird circus act that in 10 years that's going to be like, oh, well, that was me and glad mum and dad did that. (laughs) Um, And the same with maths. It is like, do we get to a point where it's like, are we okay with people profiting and – elevating and platforming like really bad behavior so but as hannah said it 
gets viewers simply because of that reason. And look, we should uh, end on a positive note for Nine. It was obviously a really mixed bag, which it would be with a presentation that was 100 years long. But one thing I did notice was I'd heard it multiple times by the time I got to the upfronts. You know, I'd already done my interview with Liana and Hamish that's coming up after this. I'd had various media briefings, so I really knew what was coming, which did make me a bit jaded sitting in that really uncomfortable plastic seat at Fox Studios for two hours. But when the chief sales officer, Michael Stevenson, was on stage and announced that they're only going to charge now Mm. for 100% completed views on their digital ads, um, you know, their social videos and whatever, which really is in stark contrast to the likes of Facebook and YouTube, there was audible gasps and murmurs mm. around the room. Like the people in the room, the marketers and the agency bossy, bosses were so impressed with mm. that. And, you know, words like game changing were being thrown around by nine, but then also by the execs at the after party saying this is game changing. When I spoke to Steve-O, he said nine is not just a BVOD broadcast video on demand player. They're a social video player. They're getting ready to take on Facebook and YouTube And it was just really interesting that Nine issued so many rallying cries, so many calls to action throughout that presentation. That was the one that really resonated. People were really, really interested in that. They did think it was brave. They did think it was bold. And they did think it was game-changing. So as much as I'd heard it four times already and wasn't perhaps that excited, people in the room definitely were. The other one that I got really good feedback about was um, Steve-O also kind of teased a united platform between 7, 9, 10, SBS and Foxtel, which will allow media buyers to buy on one platform instead of having to use separate ones for each business. That's as part of the Voz stuff, which is coming in next year and should be together by April 2021. Um, And I heard the room were like, I heard from at least five different people how great that's going to be for agencies. So there were some, yeah, there were definitely some high notes. Next up, Foxtel restructures its sales and marketing departments. So subscription TV business Foxtel has restructured its sales and marketing department in a bid to better unite the teams across Foxtel and Fox Sports. News Corp and Telstra, who joint-owned Foxtel, began a merger of the Foxtel and Fox Sports teams back in 2017. Hannah, speaking of things that I've heard before, I certainly feel like Foxtel has restructured its marketing departments many, many times in the three years I've been here. What's going on this time? Yeah, it does feel a little bit like maybe something that's happened before. Um, So basically they've combined a lot of their teams. Retail and commercial sales has been combined. They had three creative teams before which have all been combined. Um, The planning and operations and media teams have been combined. Overall, I understand it to be about 12 redundancies across the business. Um, And Marco Miranda has departed the business as well. He was the... uh, he was the chief revenue officer of retail. So it kind of, to me, I'm what I think I'm probably most surprised about is that it's taken this long. Um, as you said in the intro there, Foxtel and Fox Sports have been in the business, in the process of merging since 2017. So for it to come towards the end of 2019 and for this to only happen now for a business that isn't necessarily booming seems like an interesting choice. Of course, this also follows a really large number of marketing people departing over the last couple of months. So you do have to wonder what's kind of going on over there. 
I think you said they're a business that's not exactly booming. I mean, I think that's the understatement of of the century. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it does just feel like they can't hold on to top marketers and I don't know what's going on there. They do currently have Kieran Cooney as their top marketer and he was formerly at REA Group. And I think the new the new structure will report into him. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So um, a couple of people have had promotions through this. There's a couple of new leaders, and they're all going to report directly into him. So he'll be um, sitting over the top of everything. So who knows? Maybe this new structure will be the one that sticks. Next, ARN resigns some of its biggest talent. The Australian Radio Network, or ARN, announced this week it has re-signed three of its biggest breakfast shows, Carl and Jackie O on Sydney's Kiss FM, Jonesy and Amanda on WSFM in Sydney, and Christian O'Connell in Melbourne on Gold 104.3, are all sticking around until 2022 and beyond. Now, I actually understand that Carl and Jackie O have signed on until 2024, uh, for seemingly outrageous amounts of money, although I've also been told it's not outrageous given just how much money they bring in for ARN. Now, I have heard that the deal is worth an extra $20 million each over a three-year period for Carl Sanderlands and Jackie O. Henderson. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I'm to say money and data. <laughs> Manor is my new favourite Manor. Manor. <laughs> That's a lot of manor. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, so we just edit none of this. It's, it okay. makes great listening for everybody, everybody at home. So Carl and Jackie O are set to pocket between, according this is according to a news.com.au exclusive, Carl and Jackie O are set to pocket between 7 to $8 million each per year. What's interesting from that is that's giving them a massive 39000 per episode. That is also what I earn for every episode. <laughs> I was going to say, can confirm that's not what we get on the Mumbrella cast. <laughs> well, you should have better negotiations in your contract. With you. <laughs> <laughs> that's on top of that, they also have their own, uh, that's just their base salary. So on top of that, they've also got their own allowances, which are linked to the survey and revenue performance, which is how you get to the $50 million deal. Um, by the end of 2024. So Kyle did speak to news.com.au and wouldn't discuss the amount. Um, but he did say, I don't discuss the absurd amount of money I do- I get doing something I love. Don't get me wrong. The money's fantastic. <laughs> did he call it absurd? He called it absurd, yeah. Well, he's not wrong, I guess. At least, look, at least he's honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I too earn an absurd amount of money for, for this quality <laughs> for this audio offering. Podcast that you love. Absurdly low. <laughs> Correct. Um, So they've also held on to Christian O'Connell, who was a bit of a gamble for them, bringing him out from the UK for W, not for WSFM, for its equivalent in Melbourne, Gold 104.3. He replaced the Joe and Limo show, which was axed before. He's going really well, though. It has definitely paid off for Gold. I think in the most recent radio ratings survey from memory, he now has a 9.5% share, which 
is just 0.1 share points away from the FM market leaders, Fifi, Fev and Byron on Fox FM, which have 9.6. So he's just tracked up and up and up. He's obviously uprooted his whole life and family to come here. So I'm sure he's pleased as well. But Hannah, it seems like there was no word on other talent, for example, in Melbourne on Kiss FM, Jason PJ. They weren't included in the press release about this. No, the press release was very focused on um, just those three programs, which I think it's interesting. You can read it one of two ways. Obviously, those three programs are ARN's flagship shows. They're all doing incredibly well in their markets, but they have other shows that are doing well as well. Um, So you can either read this as they're literally just focusing on their three biggest shows, or you can read this as if you read between the lines, perhaps we could be seeing maybe some changes across the talent, across the rest of the network um, in the next few, say, you know, months. So yeah, it is interesting. It's one of those, you know, do you read into it or do you not? Yeah. I know that all talent is contracted until the end of 2020. So ARN, makes a really big deal about the fact that its contract negotiations are always ongoing. They say that they don't leave it, you know, to the last minute to suddenly sit down and then have things fall apart, you know, in the same way that Kyle and Jackie O left Southern Cross Stereos Today FM and that's still recovering even though they left at the end of 2013 to launch Kiss FM in 2014. So they're going on all the time. My understanding is that these are the ones that they've locked in. They probably made it a priority because, as you say, Hannah, they're the big ones, they're the leaders, they're the ones they need to hold on to, but they still have at least a year to decide whether they want those other programs but also to keep negotiating. So it's definitely not a death warrant. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think Jason PJ or the team at 97.3 should be concerned, you know, it doesn't mean it's the end. No. It just means they haven't gotten there yet. So, you know, there's still a whole year for them to let us know what's going on with their programming elsewhere. But it was very interesting timing in general, particularly because we did just mention Sydney's Today FM, which Kyle and Jackie O left a few years ago, and its parent company, Southern Cross Stereo, released quite a harsh warning to the market this week flagging that for the September quarter of this year, which is the months of July, August and September, its earnings were 8.5% down, I think, on the prior corresponding period. And they flagged really difficult market conditions, both in terms of a tough media market, but also the ad market and just, you know, the economy in general. Hannah, what was your interpretation of what's going on at SCA and, and why things are down? Is it a wider radio problem, a wider media problem? Is this problem exclusive to SCA? It's definitely not exclusive to SCA. Um, we have seen a lot of these kind of announcements across the wider media market. We've also obviously seen them across, say, the Commercial Radio Australia um, radio ad revenue. That was down to that was down ten point two percent for the September quarter. So, it's not just SCA, but it is really interesting that in the same week that SCA was forced to come out with that kind of statement, which is obviously a very negative one, ARN was able to come out really strong and say, "Look at how much we're paying our talent, and we've got them to." X state. Um, so that was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> perhaps particularly interesting for ARN talent Kyle Sanderlands, who went on his breakfast show on Kiss 106.5, 1065, 
and said that the former executives at SCA were assholes. Um, there's definitely no love lost there. But yeah, I do wonder what SCA are going to do off the back of that and how they're going to kind of turn their time around. It will. We're still waiting to see how the Today FM Breakfast show recovers, but yeah, interesting times. Yeah, I think they were hoping that this would be a stronger quarter, but that same day that they did issue the release to the ASX, just flagging that things were really tough, was the same day that the Commercial Radio Australia figures came out for the quarter, and it's down in general. So certainly not just SCA struggling. Uh, and the CEO of CRA, Joan Warner, did seem optimistic that things are going to turn around and it'll be interesting for us, Hannah, to get the sentiment of the room at the Radio Alive conference and the uh, the ACRA um, awards that are coming up while we're flying after this podcast up to Brisbane, weather permitting. We've already had some warning texts from Qantas, but if we make it there, <laughs> it will be interesting to see what the sentiment is like given this raft of announcements and Colin and Jackie O are allegedly going to be on stage at Radio Alive and I say allegedly because it's in the program but Sanderlands is quite renowned for not showing up to things including the Aquas last year so you know we'll see but I'm sure if he's there he'll drop some bombs and throw some shade. (laughs) Coming up next my chat with Nines Liana Dubois and Hamish Turner. I'm joined now on the Mumbrella cast by Hamish Turner, the program director at Nine, and Liana Dubois, the director of Powered at Nine. Welcome both. Hi, Viv. Hi, Viv. So it's coming down to the wire in the ratings battle for Total People in 2019 between yourselves and Seven. Have you had a good year, Hamish, or has Seven had a bad year? Oh, we've had a great year. I think we've had, uh, you know, our best start to the year with uh, Australian Open into maths, the biggest uh, series of the year to date. Uh, and we've kind of continued that throughout the year. So I'd say we've had a fantastic year, <clears throat> backed by consistency in the, those kind of 7.30 pillars in uh, biggest show of the year or new show of the year, Lego Masters, Ninja Warrior being up year on year, The Voice having another really strong year and now into the block. So, uh, no, we've had a really strong year. And Nine does make it clear that it programs for the demographics, largely those aged 25 to 54, and that you're much more focused on that than total people. Will that still be the case if you win total people this year? Absolutely. I think we'd be uh, somewhat disingenuous if we turned around and went, yay, now we're number one total people win for the last five years. We've been talking the demo game and uh, that, that, that kind of is specifically around obviously uh, our sales clients and um, trying to attract the uh, the best uh, audience for, for those eyeballs. So, uh, yeah, look, our mantra is very clear. It's 2554s, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, we will win for the year. We'll win 16 to 39s, GBs with kids, um, and uh, 1839s, 1849s, although I don't, don't think we're talking about them anymore. And, Liana, we always talk about those key advertising demographics that Hamish has just listed off there. Is that really what the brands do care about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody listening to this this podcast would know that there are none, if if but one potentially, but really I can't think of any in my history in the industry of advertisers that are purchasing a total people audience. It really is about being able to target en masse 
to, you know, that grocery, that really valuable grocery buyer audience or people 25, 54 more broadly or into a more youthful demographic of 16 to 39s because your product and services are targeted that way. And so it's really important to be able to still deliver that reach velocity that you can using broadcast media, reach at pace, but in a slightly more targeted fashion. And at Tens Upfronts last week, they made a big show about how if you're buying total people, what the hell are you doing? And very much position themselves as the under 50s network. Are you guys already the under 50s network? How do you feel about 10 making that big claim on stage? Yeah, sure. Well, I think we're the 25 to 4 network. So under 50 obviously includes kids. Um, And if they want to go after that audience, then, you know, by all means. But you know, we've we've had a very clear um, objective for for a very long period of time, and that is twenty five fifty fours. But I think the other thing for us, and obviously part of the vernacular, is our cross platform efforts, and uh, what the total people or what the twenty five fifty four share won't show is the audience that we've got on our um, other platforms. Not now, I think we've got a forty seven share. To, uh, year to date on the, on that VOD audience. So, um, yeah, obviously we're getting them on linear, but we're also getting them cross-platform as well, and that is very much central to the strategy. And how will next year's battle be different from this year in particular because 10 now has a few runs on the board in the latter half of this year, and obviously 7 has the Olympics coming up in 2020? Uh, look, I think, um, you know, we're running our own race and I think for us and what you'll see as part of the, um, the, the upfronts is that it's about consistency and, and returning brands for us. As I said before, we had uh, a very strong year with tennis, maths, Lego, Ninja, Block, um, Married at First Sight. I've already said that. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is very much part of the strategy. It's, it's giving brands the confidence that those will be returning brands. We've had success with them last year or this year. Uh, and we're, we're looking to those as the, the building blocks and the foundation of, um, you know, the schedule moving forward. Obviously, the Olympics is next year, but that is only two weeks of uh, a 52-week year. And, Liana, what else can brands expect from Nine in 2020 in terms of integration opportunities and wider marketing offerings? Anything different from 2019? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are in a really fortunate position that Hugh Marks and our programming team have built us uh, and our obviously our publishing team and digital team have built us an extraordinary, what I like to call a bit of a marketing playground. Uh, 2020 for, for us you know, we have an, an amazing opportunity to really be able to amplify marketers' messages across high-reaching, highly integratable, locally produced content across television, digital and publishing assets, whatever your flavour kind of thing. And I think that's a really exciting, um, you know, thing for marketers to consider for next year. We're bringing to life those publishing assets in a post-merged world in new and exciting ways. You know, some of the brands that we've been able to get hold of like Good Food or Domain or Car Advice uh, or Sunday Life and The Good Weekend, we're now able to give them a, another injection of life and kind of put them on steroids, I suppose, uh, and make them mega brands or super brands, as we call them. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities in that space. And then really, uh, you know, when it comes to, to really big ideas that make advertising famous, that's what uh, myself, my team are really passionate about. And so we're looking, always looking for ways to push the boat out and push the boundaries on the ways that advertisers can work with us and how they can really tell their stories. Now, we're recording this ahead of your 2020 upfronts, mm-hmm. but by the time people listen to this, it would have already happened. Do you look forward to upfront season or is it a stressful nightmare, Hamish? Uh, it's stressful because you've got a deadline that needs to be hit and lots of announcers that need to be hit by that point. 
so it provides a bit of an artificial deadline for a lot of decisions to be made. But I, I don't think we're, um, you know, I think we look at it as a great opportunity to kind of engage with the broader market to tell them our story, um, to kind of look forward. But, um, you know, I think we've, we've, we've got a lot of great announcers, but I think there's more to come as well. Liana, are you looking forward to it or looking forward to it being over? Oh, look, I, I absolutely echo uh, Hamish's sentiments there because there's deadline after deadline to get us ready for the upfronts and it doesn't stop after Sydney, obviously, because we roll through all of the markets of Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth. But I think what I really love about the upfronts is that it starts the celebration or it is the celebration of the great industry that we work in. The marketing and advertising and media industry is second to none and it's really, really good fun. And Upfronts is both, you know, an illustration of investment and commitment into business growth, both for ourselves and to show marketers how they can achieve business growth working with us. Um, but it's also not just about information and education. It's about, you know, reminding us of this, this great industry that we work in and it's a, it's a really bloody good time. And do you get to go to your rivals upfronts events where they reveal their content plans or do you just have to read about it elsewhere? I think uh, we, we're all on Twitter generally <laughs> while it's coming out and we, we, we're getting uh, up-to-date notes from Nick who's also in the room at this point in time. <laughs> He's waving. Um, yeah, no, we, we keep an eye on what the, what the announcers are but, uh, yeah, I don't think they'd let us through the door. <clears throat> so speaking of keeping an eye on things, uh, it would appear that Seven is bringing back Farmer Wants a Wife and if the rumours are to be believed, Big Brother, which were both have previously had runs on Nine. Hamish, why did you pass up those programs? Um, well, I think Farmer Wants a Wife was a great brand for us for a very long period of time, but I think uh, for us we've kind of moved on to different territories, obviously with Married at First Sight. Um, it's, it, it's you know our biggest show and is definitely within that similar terrain. Um, and Big Brother, you know, I, I've only read what you've read, so um, I don't think uh, there's anything locked in stone at this point in time. Well, Seven's Upfronts are the week after yours, so I guess we we will find out. Are you worried about a big juggernaut going up against maths? It's just been so dominant now in terms of its engagement with the demos, total people, advertising support. Could anything shake that foundation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it could always. And that was exactly the same conversation that we had with MKR. MKR was the dominant yeah. force for 10 years and, yeah, married at first sight bit by bit was able to um was able to uh take that share of voice um you know was, was very much part of that water cooler conversation and it grew and it grew and it grew and you know over three years it kind of uh, it got it to a level where it you know had really attacked that the core youth audience of that show so yeah absolutely but uh, we've got another really strong season we've got some some great couples and uh, we're kind of in the middle of uh filming right now so looking forward to bringing that to everyone uh start of next year and when a program does as well as Married at First Sight has done, it must be tempting to draw it out more or to have multiple seasons. Seven announced that My Kitchen Rules would have two runs this year and then that was sort of put on the back burner, but 10 successful formats. We know that in 2020 it's sort of doing extra iterations of Survivor. There must be a temptation there for, for you to do the same. Would you go down that path and have multiple iterations of maths in one year? Well, we, we went down that path of the block a few years ago. And, and usually the reason to go down that path is that you haven't got 
blocks in the schedule to fill the entire year. And so when we go back to our announce, it's about consistency and it's about retaining brands and about brands that have a, a proven winning formula and an audience. And, you know, if I look, look down at the, the stats, uh, we had five of the top five of the, the total people shows, th- uh, six of the 10, 254 shows. So that's what we talk about in terms of consistency and returning brands. So um, we're kind of chock-a-block next year. So I think the tendency to, to double up and do that is when you have holes in your schedule. And Liana talking about huge television moments next year is the Olympics, which no doubt brands will get behind on seven. What will you do to counteract that when you know that brands almost have to be seen during the Olympics? Yeah, sure. I think it's a really great question. And certainly for us, I think it's really important to remember that 2020 has 52 weeks inside it, uh, as every year does. And as I mentioned before, Nine really has made its mark in terms of um, humbly but proudly being the home of Australian content. And we will have 52 weeks of locally produced, highly integratable, high-reaching, premium content across TV, Dig and Publishing. Um, but importantly for advertisers inside that two to three week block on nine when the Olympics is at play, we're also taking steps to make the transaction with nine, particularly in the linear television space and BVOD more efficient over that time. So all of our inventory across nine, go gem, nine life, nine now, including zone one will be placed into nine galaxy so that it can be automated so that the audience can be 100% guaranteed, so you get literally what you pay for. If you buy 100 tarps, you get 100 tarps. Uh, and it takes that, that friction and that concern around shortfalls and audience predictability and that sort of thing out because it's backed by machine learning prediction capability. Uh, and the other thing that we'll do, obviously, is work with advertisers to be really tactical in that space and to help support the priorities and the plans that they might have in other areas and how can we help to support, to support that. And Hamish, what will you put to air for those people who don't want to watch the Olympics or have tired of sport by week two? Oh, a, a robust schedule that I haven't we haven't decided on yet. But uh, yeah, look, I think um, we're planning to go really strong right up into the Olympics. Um, we'll, we will have alternative program through that period, uh, but we're not announcing that yet. We'll have to wait and see. Um, what's been the biggest challenge for you, Hamish, in 2019? You've obviously had an incredibly strong year, but was there a low point? Any regrets for the calendar year 2019? No regrets. You, there's always learnings, but no regrets. You kind of, uh, I think you, you learn every day, and that's that's the great thing about being in the media industry at this point in time. That you know, nothing stays the same, everything changes, but everything stays the same, as, I guess, is the quote. But, uh, yeah, look, it's it's looking at that kind of expansion of that digital audience and how they're engaging. And I think that's one of the exciting things for us is is learning, you know, who they are, how they're engaging and how they're kind of – that they're changing their um, their, their engagement patterns. Um, so there's a real focus there and, um, you know, as part of the commissioning strategy as well, it's about commissioning audiences across platform, not only just for, for linear. And Liana, the biggest challenge for you in 2019? The biggest challenge for me in 2019 is just an overwhelming desire to do more amazing, creative, big ideas that make advertising famous. And I think 2020 gives us an extraordinary platform to be able to do that because all of the amazing content across our entire ecosystem returns proven, consistent, really deep and vast. There's really something in it for all of our advertisers. And really, if we can crack imagination and that little bit of know-how working together, uh, I think, you know, what we can what we can achieve in 2020 is really exciting for marketers. 
one challenge and whether it was real or just headline based was definitely the lineup changes of the Today Show and people comparing it to the ratings of Seven's Sunrise. Do you see that as a challenge or is it something that you're willing to stick with? Oh, look, it absolutely is a challenge. Um, there's always going to be challenges when you bring a new team uh, um, to the table. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been um, – I think they've been consistent though. You know, there was an initial drop of around 30,000. I think they're down around 30,000 year on year. But they've stayed fairly stable since then. So it's about building that chemistry and building the team up and, and getting it to a point uh, that, you know, everybody's comfortable. But, you know, they will, they, that, that team of today show and – Steve Berlin will continue to, you know, work 365 days, 366 <laughs> days of the year and uh, keep putting out that show and, you know, we all move forward. We've spoken a lot about linear television, but obviously broadcast video on demand and your platform nine now is a huge part of what you guys are doing. Yeah. Will that continue to evolve in 2020? What can we expect from your digital offering next year? Yeah, look, we all, we're always looking to evolve and always looking to continue to branch out in those areas where we're um, monetizing audience. And, um, you know, we're doing that really well within that space, within BVOD. Um, you know, there's about 30% uh, just organic growth in that space year on year. Uh, and that's just with kind of general hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continue to look at that audience. It is a very younger audience. So I think what we're seeing is that, you know, that uh, under 40 audience are increasingly going there as a destination. Uh, and we have to continue to evolve our strategy around what what our audience is doing. So I think anything that we do, do do will be um, very much based on uh, learnings and what we've seen over the past year. But we're in a great position. We have 40% share of the market. Uh, we've got the two biggest brands in that space being Maths and Love Island. Um, and uh, they'll end the year being the two biggest uh, shows on the on that platform. I was going to ask about Love Island, actually, Liana, because mm. the original narrative around that story when the preliminary overnight ratings came out where, you know, people were smashing it, saying it was a ratings disaster and Nine kept sticking with it, saying, you know, the audience will come, they'll find us online, they'll binge, they'll watch it when they want to. Yep. Have you been able to sell that story to brands now to get them to integrate with the program? I think what's really exciting for us is certainly the brands that are leaning into more youth-based audience, and, and I fall short of calling people millennials, but for, for the more youthful audiences, for brands that are working with that audience and attempting to attract them, they're very, very familiar with the change in habit because it's happening inside their own businesses as well. So I think you know most brands are really attuned to the fact that uh, at the at the younger end, people are watching things on their own terms. They're binging when they want to on the weekend, or they're just catching up a little bit later at night because they didn't quite make it home from their night out or their restaurant, you know, dining experience or whatever that might be. And certainly, the sponsors that we have on Love Island this year are across uh, Deliveroo, across Tradey, across KFC. Uh, and Emco have you know really embraced the proposition and are doing some really cute and cool things with Love Island. I am increasingly reading though that consumers are getting overwhelmed by the number of online video options, whether it's a subscription video on demand service such as Netflix or whether it's a broadcast video on demand service such as Nine Now or Ten Play. Does that factor in to your plans, the increasing number of options out there and, and how do you counteract that? Yeah, I think it's a content arms race and what we're seeing and what you're reading about is that those production companies are starting to build their own um, content platforms uh, and a direct-to-audience uh, direct um, product. 
And I think what will happen is that that will continue and increase over the next five years. We've seen it with Disney Plus coming to the market. Warner Brothers have um, HBO Max. Um, NBC have Peacock. So they're, they're, every one of the big production companies are doing this. Now, look, that's going to happen in the US first. It'll take a while for, for all those to get out here. And in fact, some of them may never come out here. Strategically, they may partner up with somebody else before they do that. Um, but what's happening and where that'll will really hurt is, you know, kind of Netflix, I think, because Netflix is, has been the place that all that content was placed internationally. And now we're seeing that pulled off. So they're going to come, come under the biggest pressure. Um, for us, I think we sit in a different space obviously uh, the Bevo platform is a platform that has ostensibly sat as a catch-up service you know we may extend that so that the the viewer or the audience who go in there can have other options to to, to watch content and we, we do that already you know we've got things like ER um, season stacked in there and that does some really good numbers for us so um you know, I think it's about who does the the smart deals with the right uh, distributors at this point in time to ensure that they've got that flow of content continuing to 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 come to them moving forward. But you know, Bevo is very different. We kind of we've got that kind of linear extension, and and where we're seeing majority of audience at the moment is coming off um, that linear experience. And in fact, linear um, helps um, um, amplify that audience uh, across digital. And Liana, is it an is it an advantage or a disadvantage having ads? on nine now when you compare it to Netflix, which is ad-free? Well, I think from a viewer's point of view, it's advantageous simply because you get to access amazing locally produced premium Australian content for free uh, and you're not having to foot the bill for it. We we take on board that responsibility. Um, and, you know, I think also from a viewer's point of view, you know, they're pretty comfortable these days. They're pretty savvy these days with handing over a little bit of their data and their information to improve the advertising experience that they are having, which they understand is the trade-off for the content. So, you know, once you've handed over a little bit of that data, we know a little bit more about which ads might be more appropriate and more beneficial and more interesting and more fun for you, which then obviously has a trade-off to an advertiser because, you know, certainly in that space, you know, they're 100% viewable, those ads. They're in premium brand-safe content content they're non-skippable they're you know um they have you know up to 100 percent completion rates and you know when the audience is leaned in and they understand the trade-off and it's a better experience for them then that's great for advertisers as well it's all about viewability as well isn't it yeah <clears throat> correct and at last year's upfronts one of the big announcements was you know sea change coming back and the sea change cast uh you've also obviously had lego masters are there any really big programming announcements from nine this year uh or is it more of the same no definitely not more of the same vivian <laughs> how could you no look it is it's a bit of both it's a bit of more of the same it's a, it's the returning uh, pillars of consistency and then it's uh you know setting into new shows so we've also got informer 3838 which is the story of lawyer x who uh, brought down the ganglands from the inside and kind of played that double life. Um, so that'll be coming in uh, 2020. We've also got Halifax Retribution. Uh, so reprising the role of Jane Halifax um, is Rebecca Gibney. Uh, joining her is Anthony LaPaglia. So all-star cast. Um, that will be coming in 2020. We're really excited about that one. Um uh, we've also got Emergency from uh, the guys who made Paramedics. Paramedics was the biggest um, 
fact show of 2017. It is returning, sorry, 2018. It is returning uh, in 2020 along with Emergency. So um, a lot of uh, great doco content. content. Um, it was, uh, I think it averaged 750,000 uh, in uh, 2018. So we're looking forward to bringing that into the schedule. Taronga Who's Who in the Zoo, um, kind of really premium looking inside Taronga Zoo. Uh, the footage that's just come out of that is is just awe-inspiring. You get a, um, I don't actually know how heavy gorillas are, but anyway, a huge gorilla <laughs> Very, sitting on the table uh, has to be carried in by eight uh, veterinarians or zookeepers, um, and you just you see this this veterinarian's hand inside the the gorilla's hand, and it's kind of like wow. Um, so it's something we haven't really seen before at the kind of that level. Um, so excited about that. Um, uh, yeah, so look, lots of returning shows, but really shows that, um, will benefit from, um, you know, sitting on the back of, of, you know, those, those, those five big, uh, uh, platform shows. KPI for next year, Hamish, can be learn how heavy gorillas are. It is. I'll <laughs> Google it now. <laughs> and what was your favorite program of 2019? And do you think that will change in 2020? I think it's Lego Masters and easy, easy, an easy one because uh, obviously a new brand um, to this market and, uh, you know, the number one uh, new show of uh, 2019. Um, it was it was great to kind of see a show that was quite a small show in the UK and for us and the Animal Shine team to turn it into what it was. And uh, obviously Hamish Blake was a really big part of that and part of that DNA. And, um, yeah, so I have to say uh, Lego Masters definitely the big one. Not going to lie, we were surprised by the numbers that, Lego Masters pulled every morning when the overnight ratings come in. We do tend to pick a program and try and guess how it will go. So, yeah, so do I. Yeah, so, so when I <laughs> even run a book, <laughs> when the Mask Singer launched on ten, it was that. You know, when Love Island came back, and and definitely we did it with Lego Masters, and all of us were wrong by a really really long way. We just didn't think it would resonate and then hold to the numbers that it did. When it got such a huge number, we thought, oh, maybe it's a curiosity factor. Mm. Were you surprised by just how well it went? Um, I don't think you, don't think we commission shows um, hoping for failure. <laughs> so uh, I definitely think there was something within that show that we saw. And, um, you know, as I said before, I think Hamish was a really big part of, of that. Uh, and his DNA was all through the show. Um, I think, you know, it, it definitely launched high and uh, to be able to hold that kind of overnight linear number above a million and then have obviously the cross-platform audience was was very pleasing. But I think people fell in love with, with the show. They fell in love with the heart of the show. There were contestants that they probably hadn't seen on television before. And, you know, it's, it, we always talk about this show in terms of creativity and at the heart of the show is about turning something something turning nothing into something and um i think creativity is the heart and that's what people that's what the audience really loved about the show um and it was fresh it felt different and um you know it it was uh it was the kind of right balance of heart and warmth and love and everything that we love to see out of those 730 shows on nine and liana you had a car brand on board as a partner for lego masters that doesn't seem like an obvious brand fit how did that come about and how did you work in integration between you know plastic building toys and a car yeah sure it's a good question because you're right on face value an auto in a lego format doesn't seem to make sense but if you then understand honda who is the brand that were involved with lego masters you understand what sits at the crux of their business philosophy and it centers all around innovation in engineering 
And really, when you think about the Lego monstrosities or masterpieces that were being created through Lego Masters, that's exactly what they are. They are. They're extraordinary feats of innovative engineering. And so that's how the, the kind of brand values of each of those things intertwined. We had a lot of fun, uh, commissioning Ryan Brickman McNaught to build a life-size replica Honda Civic Type R, which took more than 1200 man hours. Goodness knows how many actual people doing it, about 300,000 bricks. It cost more than the Honda itself. <laughs> about $85,000 worth of Lego if you'd like wow. to, uh, do that, do that <laughs> wow. for yourself at home. Um, but the beauty of that is that creating that Lego masterpiece, the Honda, enabled it to become a character in and of itself, and it really heroed the entire Lego Masters sponsorship across paid-owned and earned assets in their entire marketing ecosystem. And funnily enough, ideas like that live on beyond the close of the show. So I was with my kids at Chatswood Westfield just last weekend, and sure enough, centre stage, there's Honda have taken over and there's our Honda Civic. And that is a, that's a really inspiring moment, I think, from a marketing and advertising point of view. So nine in 2020 to wrap this up. Hamish, what are you most looking forward to? Um, what am I most looking forward to? Uh, look, I think it's, it's returning brands and see those returning brands both iterate, but also succeed and, and engage, uh, audiences. Um, getting a few new brands up and running and, uh, seeing the audiences fall in love with those. Um, but also continue to see the audience and, and how they change their viewing habits and how we as a, uh, adapt as a business and move quickly to um, adapt to, to those changing needs. And I think that you know, I think we're in the best place to, to deliver upon that. And Liana, has Hamish stolen your answer or is there something else you're looking forward to in 2020? Oh, look, in 2020, it would be absolutely remiss of me to not say that Again, we want to push the boat out. We want to make advertising famous. We want to make people stand out from the crowd and realize really big ideas that make audiences look at advertising in similar veins to, to how they look at highly produced, amazing content that we turn out all day, every day. We have an extraordinary opportunity to do it. We just need advertisers and agencies, both media and creative, to go with us. And I guess this is my call to arms and my <laughs> ask of you to challenge nine because we're up for it and we want to play. Let's go big. Be bold. Be bold. Be brave. <laughs> go big. Liana Dubois, Director of Powered at Nine and Hamish Turner, Program Director at Nine. Thank you for joining me. Thank Thanks, you for Viv. having us. Cheers. Thanks, Viv. <clears throat> That's it for this week. We now have to go and inspect what could be our new offices across the bridge in North Sydney. So thank you for joining me on this very busy day, team. Thanks, thank Viv. you. 